Hello and welcome to Tax Yak, a tax banter podcast. We love yakking about tax, so we've invited a range of tax experts and practitioners to have a chat with us. We hope you enjoy this episode of Tax Yak as we approach our 50th episode. I'm Neil Jones, the Managing Director and Senior Tax Trainer with TaxBanter and your host for today's podcast. Today I'm joined by a very special guest. I'm joined by Dr Craig Latham, the Deputy Ombudsman for the Australian Small Business and Family Enterprise Ombudsman. Craig has a wealth of experience stretching across business, government and academia in both Australia and New Zealand. He has a specialist expertise in commercial and taxation law, regulatory reform and private sector government collaboration. Craig holds undergraduate degrees in economics and law, a master's of law and a doctorate of philosophy focused on disruptive technologies and regulatory systems. He makes sure that in his busy life he still has some time for long distance trail running with his wolfhound. Craig, welcome to Tax Yak. Hi Neil, it's a pleasure to be here. And thank you, I'm glad, I'm glad you can make the time in your busy schedule to have a chat with us. So Craig, firstly, what is the Australian Small Business Family Enterprise Ombudsman and its primary focus? I can say it's got the longest acronym of any government department, SPIFIO, but um, we basically are here for small businesses. And so we have two functions. Uh, one is an advocacy function and one's an assistance function. Uh, so the advocacy side, it's, I describe it as sort of the one to many. So um, we look at um, systemic issues, problems, uh, and look for um, practical, achievable resolutions for it. So we do um, reviews, inquiries in, into important matters. So like, you know, we've done things like, you know, looked at the banks, uh, we've looked at um, the way that small businesses get paid and not paid on time as well. Um, most recently, um, we've, we've looked into um, access to justice and looked at, at better ways of um, uh, firstly avoiding disputes um, and better ways that, that government can cater for that. Uh, and then if you are in a dispute, better ways of resolving them when you hit them. Um, so okay. that's sort of the the advocacy side, and then the assistance side is is the one to one support. So um, you could be a small business. I haven't been paid, or these goods aren't right, or um, my online platform is doing something weird to me, and that's where we will yes. help one to one. Okay. And what sort of the percentage of time that's sort of broken up between the two? Is it roughly even? And yeah. Well, we have between the and, two, and for me. It's, it's probably roughly even, but um, we, we run the two together as um, we're not a huge um, organisation, but um, we have an, a, a very strong advocacy, a very strong assistance team. Uh, and so those functions are uh, operating all the time. So we've always on the advocacy side got sort of many coals in the fire uh, and um, many hundreds of assistance matters on the boil at the same time. And that's a pretty wide ambit, isn't it, to help um, small business and family businesses? Uh, yeah. And that is a fairly wide brief. 
Yeah, I mean, like we, we do anything here, right? So any dispute you might have um, on that assistance side, um, nothing too hard, nothing too easy, uh, we're here to help. Um, we don't duplicate. And so interestingly, in our legislation, so we actually are, are formed under a piece of legislation, the Australian Small Business Family Enterprise Ombudsman Act 2015. Um, under that act, one of the um, interesting clauses is that uh, we are not to duplicate anybody else's function. And so if it okay. is, in the words of the Act, um, more convenient or effective for um, a body that's already existing to um, deal with the dispute, we will help people get to that body. So in, in a sort of a warm transfer yep. sort of way. So not just point at them over there, but say, look, this is the nature of your dispute. This, this is the body that's set up basically to deal with it. Um, are you good to, to go there and we'll get people across um, to them in, in, a, okay. in an orderly sort of way so they, they do feel cared for. And one of those um, advocacy issues that you've sort of, I would think you'd probably take a little bit of uh, encouragement and, and champion your success was the insolvency reforms uh, for small business that the government recently adopted and, and pretty much picked up your recommendations yeah. uh, in terms of debt and staying in charge whilst you try and trade your way out of it. So uh, could you just give us a little bit of detail about how that project went for, for your office? Yeah, no, look, that, that was, it's another successful story. And, and um, a, a lot of, of our, I think all of our uh, reviews, I think I can be that sweeping here, have had elements picked up by government. And part of the, the interesting thing about our office as well is that unlike a body like the Productivity Commission that does a report and then moves on to the next thing, uh, we'll do a report like um, insolvency. Um, we will press then for government um, to pick up the, the relevant bits, as they have done here, uh, to help with uh, small businesses in insolvency uh, and, and hopefully being able to get out the other side. Um, but then the, for those bits that aren't, picked up by government immediately where they're still advocating for them and so like yeah. one of the pieces inside that insolvency report that we really feel strongly about is the business viability review now that that one hasn't been yeah. picked up yet uh, and you will see it. it it will keep popping up because um, yeah. it, uh, I think it's in our access to justice as well maybe it isn't but uh, it and will think, turn up and in working in that that uh, business viability, um, you're certainly encouraging the government to provide some form of financial assistance, whether it be a $5,000 voucher or a, a subsidy of services to help small businesses just to get focused on are they down, going down the right path? Yeah, and, and th this is the real problem for, for small businesses, so especially with, hit with something like COVID out of the blue, um, that there's a question, am I, my business has been impacted. Am I sort of, will I be able to weather this and, and will I be able to emerge with roughly the sort of same way of operating on the other side? Some businesses actually have done better during COVID, by the way, as well, but um, the bulk have not. Um, and so am I one of those or do I need to do something um, to my business, change my model, change what I'm producing, whatever it might be, pivot um, in order to, to emerge healthy on the other side? Or the third bit is, do I actually need to close? Because I'm banking up, you know, my, my interest yeah. is, is accruing still. Um, my rent may be deferred, but it's, um, it's most of it is still going to be there on the other side. Can I actually make enough money on the other side to actually recoup this? Or is it just better just to call it quits, right? And so 
businesses uh, yeah, they can do um, people who run small business can do people so they'll keep can doing um, often until it is too late and so this was um, an, an, uh, an idea to help them get that support at a time early enough that actually makes a difference because if you run it too long and you run it down um, and the debt is becomes insurmountable there's only you know insolvency and liquidation or you know wrapping it up is that there the is only a, way to go there's a number of options your number of options does diminish yeah. and and what do you think the prospects of the government coming to the table on this one craig uh, so we're just as all I can say is we're going to keep plugging away on that one. So uh, uh, my hopes are still up um, because bit, I think that one like is. Tax, it's a bit like tax reform generally. You know, you come up with some good ideas and you put it to government, and they uh, they say they listen and consult, but sometimes you just you know it's a long, long process. Yeah, and and that's the benefit of our office is that we don't we have a long memory, and it's a, if it's a good yeah. idea, we're we're going to keep uh, plugging it and, until the time is right uh, for the idea. So um, well, your, that one's your certainly passion for, your passion for long trail running, Greg, would mean that you are in for the long haul. So you can stay a journey and a course. Yeah, I know what it feels like to be in pain for long periods of time. So. Okay, and one of the other areas that you're looking at generally now is the personal property security register and whether the interests are protected, I suppose, is, um, and does that system work adequately so that yes. small business have got comfort and benefit? Yeah, and, and there's this two sides on, on this one um, because small business can be one who um, is giving property out they want to secure or, or it can be um, people giving them property that that so this could be a big supplier to you as a small business or something um yeah. getting security over um assets that uh, have gone across to you as small business owner so the example there would be i don't know you operate a, a, a grog shop or something and then that mm. the um the goods that you get the bottles um will be um potentially on the ppsr register so that if something happens to you a small business um shop um that person will then have sort of first dibs on on yep. that inventory um but it goes the other way too so small business could be a hiring business or whatever it might be could could give something out to somebody else and they want to secure it especially if it's a significant asset to them now the problem that we have seen here and it's through some of like the insolvency and other work we've done is that it's very easy to get it wrong currently um yeah. there's uh, tricks and traps in um, the way that you register currently. And so what our uh, main folks, and we're looking to um, finalise that report um, early in the new year, um, we're looking at ways to make it easy to get it right, hard to get it wrong. So we're looking yeah. at, you know, sort of interfaces and things to not ask stupid questions that, you, that are ones that are just going to yeah. trip you up, but to, to ask only the bits that you need and then get out of there. So have clear questions, clear answers and get out of there. Um, there'll be a, a bit more to that report, but that, that's the gist of it. Um, the system is, is a good system and people will often, like, they'll know it from REVs, uh, which is now the PPSR uh, for when you buy a car, the thing does work and it's it's good. Um, but having said and I, that, and I think easy to get it wrong. Yeah, any, yeah, and anything I suppose that you go to government with the driver of reducing complexity, simplification, cutting red tape, generally finds a, a receptive ear, doesn't it, Craig? 
Yeah. So, um, and again, look, we're, we're after practical, pragmatic, achievable sorts of solutions. Um, and that's what we'll come up with here. Because, look, um, you, you've just got to uh, streamline this system so to, to make it work so that small business can actually use the thing. Now, in terms of tax specifically, most of our audience, I mean, we have a fairly wide and broad audience, but most of them have some form of liaison and connection with taxation. So in the latest report released by the tax office in their tax gap analysis, which is, you know, that report that they try yeah. and estimate, if everyone paid their fair share, this is how much we'd collect, and then we haven't collected that much, so what's the gap? In the latest, which was for 17-18 data, they estimate that the small business sector is now the widest of that gap, so about 11% or about $11 billion. And when you compare that to the top end of town, where large business, the gap is only estimated to be $2 billion, you'd think that the tax office would now have a real focus on small business um, in terms of their trying to narrow that tax gap. So. From, the, from your officer's perspective, what's probably the most important tax issue that you're, you're working with at the moment, just given that that tax office will have a focus on the small business sector? Yes, so some of that gap is, you know, the fraudulent bit, right? So there is a, bit, a small part of that is going to be that. A large part of it is just simply it's a complex system and just getting it wrong, right? So this can even be your accountant gets it wrong right? And that still counts as, as tax gap, right? So um, our perspective on the whole thing is that you've got to make the tax system, again, I'll keep saying sort of the same thing, easy to get it right, hard to get it wrong, right? So um, yes. the, the way to, to, to truly narrow that gap for all taxpayers is to make this tax system um, easy to get right. And so to run with the sort of the natural systems that, that small businesses and other people use, rather than having um, people um, to, to do extra special sort of record keeping and um, uh, other calculations in order to fit with the tax system, it should be the reverse of that. The tax system needs to be so almost transparent, just runs with the business. Um, that's how to get on, on top of that, 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 that gap that's a, for that's all a, taxpayers. That's a good state to aim for. Um, personally, uh, I have a vested interest in my business not to have the tax system too simple. <laughs> Otherwise, <laughs> we'll have nothing to talk about. But yes, you're oh, right. There'll I mean, always be a I problem. Think, <laughs> there'll always be a yes, tax problem. Correct. So. And the, the other thing with the ATO's analysis, it is the best guess. I mean, it is an estimate and it's done by some pretty important people who know what they're doing. But at the end of the day, it's still a best guess, isn't it? Yeah, well, there's a large... Had they all done what they need to do, this is how much we would have collected. Yeah, so there, there is a, a large part of it that it is the, the cash economy here. So they, they cannot actually see it. So you do have to guess it. And, and that's a bit of a concern um, as, as well. That um, The thing is, it's the best you can do with the data you have. And I think something that attracted a few headlines uh, a little while back now is, um, was the calling for the abolition of FBT, or at least a, an FBT holiday. Um, again, likely chance of that getting a run and an ear, a receptive ear at, at government level? 
Yeah, this is one that we put out there in our COVID-19 um, recovery plan. Uh, and, and this was just purely sort of looking at what's happening in the economy and what sort of, how can you give it um, sort of a shot in the arm? Uh, and so, um, yeah, so we've said that um, you should abolish, even if it was a temporary measure, a COVID type measure, you abolish FBT on small businesses. So this could be um, to, to level it up, right? So, because if you're a small business, you're not going to provide um, childcare facilities on site, for example. But if you paid for somebody to go to off site, well, why not have that FBT free? Because a large business can have it on site, right? It's that sort of idea there. But then the, the flip of it, is that um, where a large business or any any other business um, spends money in a small business that would normally be taxable, shouldn't be taxable as well. So it's got both, it would be a sort of a double hit here, right? Uh, to try to, to, to spur, spur it on. Um, we're gonna keep talking about it. Um, FBT doesn't raise massive amount uh, of, of revenue in Correct. terms of the overall revenue take. I think it's, could be something like 3%, less than that probably. Uh, and this part of it's going to be some subset of that. So, And it's a costly tax to administer and comply. And a welcome news in the budget mm. was to perhaps have less reliance on, as you mentioned earlier, specific record keeping just for the sake of a tax. Now, if you can rely on corporate records to fulfil your substantiation of your fringe benefits tax. So that was a welcome announcement by yeah. Treasurer Frydenberg in his budget, but we'll have to wait and see the proof of the pudding because it will rely on the ATO saying, well, this is acceptable to us or this is not acceptable to us. So I think a lot of it will drive, be driven by the ATO and how they come back and approach it. Yeah, and, and fringe benefits tax is is an inherently complex little beast. And the legislation, I remember, because I used to teach um, fringe benefits tax as well, the layers that you have to go down to get to get sort of a, a simple understanding, simple application to an actual business, the layers of, especially when you're going through those definitions that you've got to go to, to get your answer. It's, um, yeah, I haven't seen that, I think, duplicated in any other legislation. Sadly, Craig, I remember when it was introduced, and I was thinking at the time, um, during the Hawke-Keating years in the mid-80s, that because 26 little e, which is, was the section that said you're accessible on benefits you receive, instead of being the value to you, which was, was the complication because people would say, well, there's no value in me getting this benefit, so there's nothing to yeah. include in my tax return. If we just had changed it to the value you know, your amount you're including your accessible income is the cost of the benefit provided, we wouldn't have had a, a fringe benefits tax regime. But sadly, we went down a different path and it's been with us ever since. And I, and I admire your intentions, but I just don't think that uh, any government of any persuasion will probably now take that backward step and remove it. I mean, Ken Henry in his review in 2009 made some recommendations. You know, if you can identify the benefit and it's easy to value, just include it in their accessible income. Yeah. But anyway, we've gone down a different path. Um, in terms of other uh, tax issues on your agenda at the moment, is there anything else that you've got currently dealing with? Yeah, so we're we're still in in the throes of um, looking at at the tax system, and so I haven't um, finalised the uh, recommendations we might make there. But we're we're looking at sort of the administration of the system. You can have a look at our, our website. We we do publish 
pretty much everything uh, we will try to publish on our website so that there will be um, a report then a tax report from a few years ago now but um, one thing that certainly struck us was around garnishment uh, and we've been vocal about this at the time and I think since as well um, around the um, ability to impact small businesses before they even know it as well so um, that the way the, the garnishment system works is that the ATO can go to the bank get the thing electronically um, the garnishee order uh, made um, uh, have it happen in the day or the next day and then the notice to the taxpayer goes out in paper form and takes I don't know two weeks to get there or something um, and, and so the money has gone and the small before the small business even knows this is weird why why, why is my Checks yeah. bouncing. Why can't I pay people? What's going on here? And that's when they find out. Oh, you've actually been garnished. And so, look, and we think the inspector gen. Sorry, Craig. The, ins uh, the inspector general of taxation did a little bit on that area too, didn't they? Yes, they did. Had a so, look at and the tax officers' behaviour. Yeah, and look, this is one of those ones where an administrative agency can actually levy something on, on you with only their internal sort of scrutiny. Like you can go to the AAT, but the money is being garnished by the time you hit there. Yeah. Um, but having said that, even when you are in the AAT, um, it is possible to have a garnishment order. Now, it may not be usual, but it's possible. Mm. And, um, and certainly before you've even exercised your rights to be able to appeal um, uh, a notice of assessment of the commissioner uh, at the AAT, the garnishment can happen. And so, so yes. one of our strong ideas here is that you should be able to um, follow the, your, your appeals process um, before uh, the money's taken from you. So you should see your yes. day in court effectively before um, the money's just taken from your account. Um, in a former life, I was involved in some of those activities, and you're right, you know, the tax office does have the power to sort of not drain it completely, but certainly uh, before advising the taxpayer, um, take action to secure amounts. Yeah. So it is a broad power and should be used um, with, with um, maybe with some form of compassion. Yeah, but we'll uh, have, you'll see when, when the, our report comes out, we'll have many ideas uh, <laughs> around different things uh, that would be good um, to expand, to contract, um, like the Small Business Independent Review. Um, I think they're still called a pilot um, by the ATO, um, as from our perspective, yes. as, as um, seem to be really working. So where you can get, it's in-house independent review, so it's not external independent review. Yes. Um, yes. But to be able to get somebody who's not as attached to the matter, your matter, to um, have a look at it, um, that's been good a fresh, and so a fresh set of eyes is sorry Craig, a fresh set of eyes is often a, a handy process to to go through isn't it oh it, it is good um a, a fresh set of eyes that's fully independent external even better but um yes. I, I won't i won't look at that, that gift horse in the mouth 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 because it's uh it's a um it's it's a, the that small business independent review has been good. So and look, we'll, we'll have other ideas like and these ones have been uh, touted before. Like the um, the way the New Zealanders do it is uh, for superannuation is to um, collect the superannuation on behalf of the employee, so that when you do your PAYG, the, you just pay across the super to um, 
uh, to the ATO and the ATO does all the admin hack work uh, rather than yes. pushing it out to every small business to do. And just turning to the assistance side of your activities, I presume there's a, quite a number of people who with their interactions with the tax office get some bad news and maybe don't know where to turn and, and your office is there and ready, willing and able to assist. Yeah, so, so we run what's called a, the tax concierge service so that when you do get a notice of assessment, as a business at least, um, inside that notice it will say, look, if you want to appeal this, you've got appeal rights to the AAT, potentially federal court, uh, and here's the tax, go to the ombudsman for the tax concierge service and they will give you um, assistance here as well. So what happens is people come to us with an issue uh, and so sometimes you look at the issue and say, this one does not look quite right and, and we might then with um, the consent of the party giving it to us go back to the ATO and say look I think you may want to have another look at this one sometimes it just resolves there um, if it doesn't do that and um, the person wants to um, look at appeal getting it changed then uh, we offer this concierge service which gives them for a hundred dollars an hour with an experienced tax litigator uh, and then should they then say, right, on the back of that, uh, I'm wanting to appeal it, then they would get another hour free of charge. Now, in the prep for that, we do do something that's, I, I think, very important, and that is um, we often call it triaging, but uh, it's helping making sure the papers are all together and the right papers, and this is sometimes when we spot something that somebody seems to have missed, um, including the ATO. Um, and yeah. so we, we will help them get together sort of basically a little brief for this person so that when they get that out, because it's not a lot of time, if you're flicking through papers an hour, yeah. um, and so that they're ready to go, look, this is your issue. Um, he, he's, you, you got your pack of documents so that the, um, the, you get best bang for buck for the lawyer as well. Yeah, yeah. And I think we, we sometimes when this was first announced, the concierge service, we likened it to medical triage, you know. Um, let's deal with the, the serious mistakes. And these are worth proceeding. You know, we need to get you in the OR straight away. Or yep. maybe this one's a bit minor. Maybe you do really want to proceed, you know. I know you're not feeling good, but maybe there's no, yep. no real That's point it. going on. Or, um, so that triage is a good analogy, I think, is at that concierge yeah. service. but. But it, 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 as we know in the world of tax, and certainly from our perspective, um, people sometimes will be highly principled and deeply offended and want their day in court no matter what their chance of success. Yep. So and sometimes they, they, they just want to keep going and keep going, even though you might, as an advisor or a, a counsellor, say, look, there's really not much point, but we understand your passion and your, and your, your need and desire to want to get a, an answer and a, an outcome. Um, and so we do often see cases coming before our tribunals where you just say, why did they take this further? You know? Yeah, and, and, and the AAT at least, well, it's, it will, the, the costs will be limited there and you're not saddled with the other side's costs. But yes. you do, if you take that same, same mindset to other litigation, not tax litigation, uh, there lies real danger. That could, um, yes. your, your principled stand could actually unwrap your whole business. With the AAT, um, I should also mention that the idea of the tax concierge service is that some good matters were being burned off before hitting the AAT and so didn't, like the matters that should be going there, some of them were not making it there, whilst other matters that they're going to lose when they're there 
did make it there. So um, part of the, the, the rationale and part of what the concierge service does is helps that flow of the matters that, that really should be heard there to get there. And those, like if somebody wants a day in court, day in tribunal, yeah, it's up to them. Um, but yeah. that lawyer will at least say, look, your chances are really low. Do you really want to worry, worry about this or not? Um, so it, it, it's, a, I think, a really valuable service to get the, um, the flow to the AAT right. And I think a number of your, uh, probably more than tax, but a lot of your assistance is, is on business-to-business disputes, isn't it, rather than it is. disputes between the tax man and the, and the small business operators? Yeah, early days of our office, it was interesting because it was probably 50-50 in terms of this is not tax stuff, but uh, it would have been tax plus everything else. Uh, so problems with um, a government department. So we're, we're much more like that in the early days, but it's become, I think it's something like 90% now or more um, will be business-to-business disputes. Including sort of payment terms and, and, and those sort of payment times and the delay in getting paid and... And yeah, it can be. Just... It can be anything, anything that mm. might have otherwise ended up in court and costing you a mozza, can come to us. So it, it could be like an intellectual property dispute. It could be just a um, like a, we're, we're also the um, uh, office of the uh, administering the office of the franchising mediation advisors um, dispute resolution as well. So you could be in a franchise agreement. And um, yeah. there's, there's a problem over marketing funds, say, in a franchising agreement. Or uh, we're also yeah. oil and horticulture code. We do the dispute resolution for that. <laughs> now, the way we keep people out of court is by using alternative dispute resolution. So um, it's defined in our act as basically five things, if I can remember, yeah. <laughs> rattle them all off. There's one's uh, facilitated sort of meeting, a conference, uh, mediation, there's conciliation, there's neutral evaluation and case appraisal. Um, and we can use them in tandem well as well. So, well done. Yeah, I got them. <laughs> I've done it before. Um, and I've got to think about this. Like whenever we get a dispute, got, the ombudsman needs to decide and recommend um, the best way to handle a dispute. And so um, I, I can say mediation is key to, to most of what we look at, right? Because the mediation, the benefit of that is that the parties own the dispute and can come up, they're facilitated by the mediator to come up with some of those left field ideas and things to be able to resolve it. So that's really strong. It's a sort of tried and true based on um, Indigenous people's ways of dealing with disputes over thousands of years. It's talking stuff through, seeing the pain and then being lifted out of your point of view into the other person's point of view to think about, okay, how can we get it? something here can we get a win-win or can we get a a loss loss that isn't so painful or whatever it is right um so mediation is really important but sometimes to get something to mediation um you might want to do and this is what we sometimes will team it up with say right a case appraisal or a neutral evaluation to help um get a better understanding of what the issues are and the potential resolutions now we do do that some of that in triage where we help the parties sort of talk to each other and understand what they're arguing about. 
but then sometimes that more formal way um, helps again. And then you can go off to mediation or possibly conciliation, which is uh, sort of a, what I'd describe as a sort of a harder version of mediation where the um, conciliator um, is often also a mediator, um, is much more involved in the process and, and promoting potential ways of resolution. Whereas a mediation, mediator traditionally, and there, there's all types of mediators, but traditionally will help the parties um, talk to each other, but without imposing themselves. Yeah. Uh, and look, it's a spectrum between mediation and conciliation yep. as well. Now you mentioned earlier when I when I spoke about the uh, media FBT abolition sort of getting a, the the headline grabbing the headline, but it's part of your COVID nineteen impact and response. So I think Craig, just as twenty twenty is nearing to a close, on reflection, how do you think that the COVID nineteen pandemic will impact the small business sector, say over the longer term? I mean, what what what's going to be the lasting effects of twenty twenty and and the year that we've had? Yeah, and there can be some good, but it's going to be a bit of bad that comes with this good as well. So the bit of bad is is some of the stuff I've already mentioned. So the, the debt that um, many businesses will be accruing, um, that gets to follow you uh, into the new world. This is why that business viability review uh, we still think is critical because, you know, yeah. yeah, even if government doesn't pay for it, it's something uh, getting advice from your trusted advisor, your accountant, your lawyer, whoever it is that you, your trusted um, advisor is, uh, about what what's my prospects on the other side here, um, and getting some a bit of a reality check there. Um, so so the, that's a problem, right? Now, having said yeah. that, some businesses have done well, right? So if you if you happen to be in an industry that supplied masks or could supply masks, and it, it's it may well have been good uh, for you. Um, the other good, though, um, that could come out of some of this is the switch to E, to electronic. So the, the way that people now um, deal through um, the video platforms or the variety of video platforms uh, and the, the, um, the ease that they're starting to do that, um, that that could have a, a really positive effect into the future. Now, having said that, we've seen it in, for example, in mediation, because in the early days, sort of, you know, March, April and on, um, people just could not meet face-to-face. Uh, uh, and Victoria certainly um, been more recent here on that front as well. So everyone was forced into, if you've got a dispute, you're going to have to do it by um, video or telecon or something. And so by being thrust into it and having to get used to it for all aspects of your life, family meetings for that matter, um, uh, it it has meant that for mediation, that's been more effective than what I anticipated it would be. Because some of the the real benefit of mediation is being in the room together and getting all that body language, seeing often tears, but the anger as well, uh, disappointment, uh, all those things to, to, to get the empathy happening and, and actually see the other point of view um, harder through electronic means, but easier than it would have otherwise been because people are now used to it. Um, and so into the future, um, I could see, um, us as an office using much more of that, even when you potentially could travel to be together. Um, it used to be 
a rarer sort of thing. And normally you'd have some of the parties in the room together. So like some for both sides and you might have people on video conference as well. Um, in the future, I think we'll be seeing a bit more of the video conferencing. But I think still, having said all that, that um, the physical is um, still still is better than, than video in current technology. Well, it certainly impacted our business in a similar way. You know, we made the decision back in late March that there'd be no more face-to-face delivery. And our, fortunately, our clients have embraced the uh, distance uh, delivery method. So it has sustained our practice but I think a lot of people have found that you know working from home is not that much of a challenge and not that difficult and you can be productive and I think the new paradigm will be that sort of change in work practices um, across small business and family enterprises as well as uh, uh, say the larger organisations. The other bit to it on that front as well is the ability to open up the regions. And we're, we're thinking in this space too and looking at, and this is, don't forget bushfires here, drought, bushfires, yes. flood, right? Predated COVID and people are still yes. suffering from that. And so we, we had a focus, a regional focus um, earlier in the year and still do, but um, um, around what do the regions need? How do they rebuild? What is the infrastructure needed for sort of vibrant community going forward? Now, this switch to electronic delivery and um, extended means of supply and all that um, could have some really valuable benefits for the the ability to operate from the bush. Um, And and that's something we're looking at, we're still looking at, and looking at ways that government and others um, can better help um, regional communities to prosper as well. Um, So there could be real benefits in that in that space and when the world opens up as well the um the the impact on sort of globalization and you know the way we interact across border and our understanding of the importance of supply chains now i think everyone understands that now um that's i think going to create a bit of a different world on the other side as well okay yeah and we have learned to do things differently and and that may stay with us for some time um, yes, Craig, you've probably got, hard to go back. Your, yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> and uh, you've certainly got your challenges. You've got your, your priorities and your targets. And the office has had some successes and will no doubt continue to have some successes in these areas and push for a better outcome for the small business and, and family enterprises. I just want to finish up, if I can, Craig, with just what person, from a personal perspective, what do you look forward to, say, post-COVID and and 2021 and beyond what what from a personal level what do you think yeah I, i'm looking at the moment pretty much only as far as christmas and then just collapsing in a heap i think at <laughs> christmas uh which i think is probably going to be shared with a whole lot of people just saying oh good 2020's over um 2021's going to be better um Getting back to um, a little bit more of the normality uh, will be good. It's been good as the borders have been opened up. That's felt um, at least, even though I haven't changed that much being um, in the ACT and travelling into New South Wales, um, it's been a psychic relief um, that I can see that others can travel. Um, but but also then there'll be the opening up at the international borders, which will bring a, a different dimension. Now, I'm hoping in the meantime, because everyone's enjoying Australia and holidaying here, yes. that um, we can return to um, uh, some of that 
um, domestic holidaying and supporting our uh, rural communities and other beach and other communities as well. So, um, yeah, I, I, I'm positive time going to into the future. Foot, time to yeah. put your feet up, Craig, at least for a little while. Uh, I, I, I'm really looking forward to stopping this year. Yeah. So. I understand. I understand completely. And hopefully as we come you know, past the uh, Christmas period in the new year that we, I think there's a sense of optimism and, a, and a, that I'm certainly getting from my travels around and talking to the accounting profession that there has that sort of, it's behind us and there's a bit of a, you know, a light at the end of the tunnel and it's not an oncoming train. So yeah. there is that sense of positivity, I think, as we look to the new year. Yeah, in fact, um, seen, doc- when, when that becomes available and in, in widespread use, that, that will be the other step change here as well. So, yes. Look, Craig, I, I really appreciate your time today. Uh, thank you very much for, for participating uh, with us. And is there any final comment you want to leave our listeners with? No, Neil, I th- thank you um, so much for the time. And look, for a final comment, I'd say, look, if you've got a problem, come to us. <laughs> so like, you can yeah. find us online. Uh, where you can contact us many ways. But Spiffio, the one benefit, I started with this one benefit of the worst acronym um, is that it's really easy to find. ASBFEO.gov.au is is us and you can um uh, drop us an email you can uh, we've got web forms you can give us a call um but if you've got a um a problem like a dispute um that's what we're built to to help you with so um it it can be us who gives you help or we get you to the right spot um so that that they're willing to help we are indeed thank you very much thanks Dale. see you thanks for listening to this episode of tax shack I've been chatting with Dr. Craig Latham at the Australian Small Business and Family Enterprise Ombudsman. If you'd like to connect with us on social media, you can find Tax Banter on LinkedIn and Twitter. Let us know your take on episodes or suggest future topics or speakers. You can also get onto the Tax Shack team on email podcast at taxbanter.com.au and find our regular blog articles at taxbanter.com.au forward slash banter blog if you're enjoying our podcast please take a moment to rate and write a review of the show wherever you are it will help to improve the podcast and profile of the show and we would love to hear your thoughts we look forward to you joining us next time 